So you are one of the best triathletes in the world, and I can still hang with you. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Even though I wasn't racing. From our studios in Malibu, California. Not every day, but some days, because those are my hard days. So Mark Sisson is back on podcast. So nice to be here. I'm Brad Kearns, the host, and it's been a while that we've talked. It's been a long time. Been a long time. <laughs> Um, one of the things that's really a hot topic, that's still a hot topic, amazingly, after your post back in 2007 about chronic cardio, it still seems to be an issue, and there still seems to be one of the major stumbling blocks for people to try to balance their health in pursuit of fitness. So I thought we'd talk about chronic exercise today and just get back to kind of a basic starting point about this topic. Yeah, it's interesting. That first post I did was actually in 2005. It was a guest post on uh, Art Devaney's site in which I... Um, sort of spilled my guts about how I felt about the years I'd, I won't say wasted, but the years I invested um, probably um, foolishly in the pursuit of this, uh, you know, endurance uh, effort that, that, that had uh, led my life for so long. And uh, I'd had my own set of issues with, uh, you know, all of the um, injuries and the advanced illnesses that I'd gotten, the chronic infections and all the other stuff that we talk about. But, but um, almost more importantly, when I, put, when I put that first post together, I was looking at all of my friends uh, in the fields of endurance activities, whether it was uh, marathoning or triathlon or cycling, all these people that before the age of 40 had like fallen apart. They'd either had heart attacks or died or it had defibrillators. Uh, installed or pacemakers or it had open heart surgery and it was like the, the number was really mounting up and I thought there's something just really bad about this. It's not just coincidental that all these people who are training so, so hard are having heart issues. Uh, forget the joint issues because that was the other aspect that, you know, that was what kept me out of it was I, I was getting the overuse injuries in my joints. So that first post in 2005 was kind of a a wake-up call for me to start really looking at, okay, what is it about exercise that's causing us all these problems because we thought it was supposed to be good for us? And then, you know, is there a way to to have our cake and eat it too? Um, bad pun. But is there a way that we can that we can participate in sports and these endurance activities and still be fit and uninjured and, don't, and not get sick? Um, and for the longest time, I thought, I thought you couldn't do that. Uh, now I'm I'm uh, slightly changing my mind, but yeah, that was the that was the original premise was that endurance training is just flat out bad, and doing too much of it was was uh, antithetical to health. And are you saying that your position is changing now? That there's a way to do it without destroying your health and your joints and your immune system? Well, yeah, I mean, I still don't recommend to people that if you if you want to engage in some healthful anti aging program that you should go complete an Ironman triathlon. I, I'm not really adv advocating that. But what I am saying is that if you're somebody who wants to do a marathon or wants to uh, participate in triathlons, I can show you now how to do that in a way that will not be deleterious to your health. I can show you to, how to do that in a way that sort of involves all of the tools that we've picked up over the last seven or eight years, whether it's uh, means of training in the weight room, whether it's specific uh, ways of doing uh, interval training or weight training or maximum overload principle in the gym with, with weights or whether it's uh, low-carb ketogenic, cyclic ketogenic eating styles that reconfigure your fuel partitioning so that you burn fat more efficiently. All of these hacks are now available and they weren't, they weren't really available even as recently as, as six or seven years ago. Uh, at least the science hadn't proven them. So the, the bottom line is 
yes, if you want to go do an endurance contest and you don't want to necessarily make a life of it, but if you want to do one just to as a as a bucket list item, I can show you how to do that and still retain your health and your vitality. So it sounds like it's if you insist on running a marathon or doing an Ironman, then we'll then we'll talk about it. But generally speaking, well, first of all, don't don't try to pursue elite level, and then do you really have to go twenty six miles? Yeah, yeah, and it, elite level is still. I mean, I, that's what I did, and I'm happy I did. I'm glad I did it. I got a lot out of it. It was not something that I, I really regret. Um, I got out of it early enough. I got I, luckily I got injured early enough that it didn't manifest itself in other more serious health issues later on. Um, so I'm not a, I'm not opposed to even being an elite athlete, but I, what I just really my my goal with Mark's Daily Apple with a primal blueprint is to provide the kind of information and education so that people make well-informed choices. That's all. So if you choose to dedicate your life to an endurance activity, I just want you to recognize that there are maybe there may be problems with it. There may be some issues that you hadn't thought through, and if you're willing to understand what those issues are and that there may be compromises in your health, whether it's short-term or long-term, and you accept those compromises as part of the deal in a pursuit of a, of a medal or a trophy or a stack of money, I'm fine with that. I'm not going to judge that, but I'm just – my whole thing is, is you know, at what point do you make this decision blindly? And that's what I did. I made this decision blindly 25, 30 years ago, 40 years ago um, to become an endurance athlete. Uh, so it's not a good or bad thing. It's just if if you if you're making a choice, make a choice with the greatest amount of information about the ramifications and the outcomes. Okay, so let's say the person is going to make that choice, and it seems like now the prevailing approach is still advocating chronic accumulate this many miles per week or be consistent with your with your triathlon training to get three workouts in each sport. So let's try to take an alternative path if someone's willing and they, they want to aspire to not only an endurance goal, but let's say a CrossFit person that's so excited about it and wants to go, go, go in that direction. What would be the starting point to depart from something that compromises health and still gets to these high fitness goals? Well, I think the starting point is maybe a, a, a reframing of the challenge. So in the old days, the challenge was, okay, I want to go race a 10K or I want to go do a Spartan race or I want to go do a... a uh, you know, a triathlon, and knowing that I want to do that, I'm going to train as hard as I can without falling apart. Well, if you reframe that a little bit, and this is what I do now, is like, okay, I want to go do a 10K or a marathon or, or a triathlon or a, or a Spartan race. What's the least amount of training I can do and still do well? In other words, I reframe it for myself as when I line up against all these other poor bastards that have trained their asses off for the last six months with this one race in mind, how many of those people can I beat on my minimal training? You know, uh, what's the, it, it's just a different challenge. So I, you know, whether I finish fourth in my age group or 12th in my age group, as long as I don't finish 150th in my age group, I'm gonna be satisfied with, with that, that sort, sort of concept. Um, and it becomes a game. It really does become a game. How can I put together a great race with the least amount of pain and suffering and sacrifice. Uh, and now I'm starting to see this even at elite at the elite level. A friend of mine, you know, just finished Ironman in Hawaii on 12 hours a week of training, which if you're an Ironman triathlete and you're in the elite level, 12, iron, 12 hours a week is nothing. And he did it 
on a low-carb strategy. So he spent time in the gym. He was very, very judicious about the time he spent on the bike and how he and how much time he spent in the pool. And he ate a low-carb diet, so he became good at burning fats. That, to me, is a tremendous success because it didn't beat him up. He's not suffering for the next you know three weeks because he went to the well too deeply. All of those things are now kind of tools that we can use to apply to not just the, you know, clearly not just to the average guy who just wants to complete one, but to even uh, to the elite level. So let's say someone's pursuing a popular goal these days of half marathon, 13 miles. The traditional approach is get your mileage up to 30 miles a week, maybe 40. How would you counter that if you were sitting down with a person saying, look, here's a better way to approach this goal that you still have to run 13 miles on race day? Yeah, I mean, I think you can't get away from the reality that at some point you have to do a long-distance run. If you want to race at a long-distance uh, of any configuration, whether it is a triathlon or a, or a, or a marathon or an open-water swim, at some point the interval work that you do and the gym work you do, you still have to, you have to go through the repetitive motion uh, at some level of, of completing that. So you, I, I think it's probably faulty logic to think that you can – that you can just do CrossFit training in the gym and then go out and run a half marathon, never having run further than a mile, say. But there are ways to put this together so that you don't have to run 40 miles a week, that in fact you can run, you know, do two, two runs a week, uh, one of which is an interval uh, session, one of which is a, a moderate uh, tempo session, that would be at re- race pace, but not, not nearly the distance, and then one easy, long, slow uh uh, run a week that's approximately the distance, or maybe you know, for a half marathon, maybe you get up to nine or ten miles once, you know, before you you do the event. So it's not like you're going to pl- completely go away from the concept of of putting in all these miles and never replicating the distance. It's that you don't have to do that same you know high mileage strategy that people have used for so long to be able to complete an endurance contest. What we're doing is we're looking at, we're breaking the event down into the different sections of metabolism that are involved. So we're working on strength and sustained power over time. And we're working on uh, repartitioning fuel so that we do become better at burning fat. And a lot of that repartitioning happens literally at the dinner table, not on a 10-mile run or on a 40-mile bike ride. That fuel partitioning, that repartitioning, that ability to extract energy from stored body fat or from fat that's that's in the in in a supplement that you might take during a race, uh, those are skills that don't require that you be hammering the miles out. You can just learn that again through partly through diet. So some of that you can also pick up through metabolic conditioning work in the gym. So you can be doing maximum overload, you know, which we've done with uh, with guys like uh, Dave Zabriskie, who last last year was. Uh, training to uh, complete the season uh, almost ketogenically and spending a lot of time in the gym uh, and wound up getting injured. He, he, he crashed on his bike. Otherwise, uh, we'll, now we'll never know, but he was very excited about the concept of um, this maximum overload principle of the ketogenic strategy and, uh, and accessing stored body fat and ketones. This is a national champion cyclist, Dave Zabriskie, you're talking about Tour de France, the yellow jersey holder in past years, and yeah. was going for another phase of his career trying this new experiment. Absolutely, yeah. So we, we know that it can be done. It's just how much, you know, how much uh, are you willing to suspend disbelief and sort of walk away from that old <laughs> tried-and-true carbo-loading and, and ultra-mileage 
training strategy that virtually every endurance athlete that's ever participated in the last you know couple of decades has, has undergone. Uh, well, back back in the old days when you coached me, as I was a professional triathlete, one of the things that was really uh, revolutionary was that I should just test myself on my best workouts because I found I couldn't train at the same daily level as the, the top guys I was trying to race against. And you called it breakthrough workouts. Tell me, tell me more about that. Well, yeah, the idea behind breakthrough workouts was that was that the only reason that training works is that you you go you stress the body beyond what it's normally capable of, and provided you give enough rest and an, and enough nutrition to recover, the body builds itself back a little bit stronger, so it's better able to handle that kind of a load the next time you do it. Where people get caught up uh, in, <clears throat> particularly in elite level training is they think that if a little is good, more is better, and so they train hard every day, and they never give themselves enough time to recover. What I suggested with uh, that breakthrough uh, strategy, training strategy, was that you would pick days that you were well-rested, that you were well-hydrated, and you were well-recovered, and you'd, and your nutrition had been good the day before, and then those are the days, provided you woke up and felt really good, that you could hammer a really hard workout. And then the caveat was that you didn't work hard the next day or the day after that, because you allowed yourself time to recover. And that's really what we're trying to do with this with this new endurance training strategy is we're trying to break the race down or the event down into component parts and say, okay, how can we train hard in the uh, high end of the aerobic zones uh, when, when we're needed? Or how can we, you know, go anaerobic at times and go completely glycolytic and still be, be able to, to do that for short bursts and then come back and be aerobic and access... Uh, the same amount of of, uh, fat as fuel. All of these different uh, aspects of a race, if you just break the race down into component parts, you can craft the strategy that does that, but you can't go out and hammer it hard every day. And even as I got older in my, uh, and I was co- and I was coaching you, and I used to train with you guys. So you are one of the best triathletes in the world, and I could go out at the age of 38 and 39, and I could still hang with you, even though I wasn't racing. I could hang with you on a ride. I could hang on you with a run, not every day, but some days because those were the, those were my hard days. And then where you could come back and recover within two or three days, it might have taken me four or five days to come back and recover. And as long as I didn't go hard in those four or five days then I got the same benefit you did. You were just compressing your workouts into a shorter time frame. I was doing the same workouts over a longer time frame, giving myself more more rest uh, and more recovery. Again, we get back to the concept that we see in a lot of these metabolic conditioning strategies and programs that are out there right right now. Um, You know, CrossFit is one example. It's really hard to go three days on hard and one day off. Uh, for the elite, elite, elite who are well-rested and who are or not well-rested, but who are just, you know, don't work and don't have a lot of other things to do, maybe that's an okay training strategy. But for the average citizen athlete going into any kind of gym, three hard days followed by a day off just is way too much work. No matter how short the workout is, even if it's a 12-minute workout, it's still going to be uh, way too hard to recover within 24 hours to go do it again. Um, that's an important point. I, I've seen you coaching average people and dealing with uh, you know questions at the seminars and stuff from people that are not necessarily interested in a big performance goal, but they're in the gym and they're actually doing the same thing to their body without realizing it. So you know it's 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 relative what a hard workout is, but you see these people trying to be consistent with their workout routine, and sometimes that leads them into problems. They don't even realize that they're. Uh, overtraining. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the one of the problems with <laughs> magazines like you know Lava Magazine or Triathlete Magazine or 
runner's world is a lot of times you, you, you see what the elites are doing for their training and you try to emulate that as a, you know, as a, as a citizen athlete who's an age group participant, who's got a real job, who can't take a two-hour nap in the middle of the afternoon, or who's got a family or whatever. And, and so the fact that you can do the workouts once in a while is great. I mean, that's really a testament to your, to your current level of fitness. But the concept then of trying to do all those workouts and emulate every one of those workouts is where you get into trouble. And that's why I say, as long as you can, back to the idea of the primal endurance strategy, as long as you can do those kind of workouts once in a while, that's enough to increase and improve your fitness level to the point where you can, you can tow the starting line of a race and not have overtrained and not be beat, beat to crap and not have uh, you know, adrenal fatigue already just from your training and be able to go into the race uh, fresh and rested and enthusiastic and perform at your best and accept whatever outcome happens and walk away and go, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to get on with my life the next day or two and not have to suffer the consequences for days and, you know, or weeks at a time because you overtrained and then overraced. So let's talk about just where the diet fits in because you mentioned that low-carb strategy or the ketogenic athlete. Um, let's say the average person just wants to pull back. They're listening to this podcast. They're relating to some of the uh, chronic patterns that we describe. Um, what would be a starting point to reevaluate this carbohydrate dependency and chronic carbohydrate burning with the chronic exercise. I mean, if you've if you've been high carb your whole life and you've been training high carb your whole life, the first thing to do is cut way back on your training for three weeks, and go low carb and reconfigure that dynamic, that fuel partitioning dynamic, uh, and not tap into any of the old uh, enzyme systems yet. That you you know any of the sugar burning pathways that you that your body is so used to so take three weeks very easy reconfigure the diet and then start the training uh, maybe three weeks into it so what's very easy what's the distinction between a comfortably paced workout that's going to burn mostly fat and getting into the danger zone of a glycolytic or one that contributes a lot to the glucose burning and glucose eating well if you're coming again if you're coming from having been a carb loading sugar burner endurance athlete, then you're not going to do any interval training for that first three weeks, really to speak of. You're, you're going to keep your workouts at you know, 70, 70 to 75% of your max heart rate as a maximum. So if you're a runner, that could be probably jogging s- slower than you've ever jogged before, or maybe just taking some hikes. If you're a cyclist, it's the same thing. It's, it's, literally, it's, it behooves some people to wear a heart monitor just to keep them honest, just to keep their heart rate below a certain level, uh, a 70 or 75% of max heart rate, just during this transition period. And you know, go to the gym during this transition period and, and certainly lift weights and uh, do some squats and, and some lunges and uh, upper body stuff that's going to, uh, to add to the pursuit. Now, I want to get real specific on this because we will, in fact, in the new book that's coming out next year, we'll have all sorts of real specific activities. This uh, primal endurance you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But for now, that just the idea that, and you know, I didn't know we were going to go down this pathway right now with uh, real specific information. But yeah, the 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 idea is to is to not go to the well or train really hard during that first three week transition period. After you transition, then you can start to experiment with little with harder workouts and more intense workouts. So even with the intensity stuff that you mentioned in the gym, there's an important distinction of staying in there too long versus doing a, a brief. Well, yeah, I mean, if you, you know, any any uh, weight 
lifting workout in the gym, and he's, particularly if it's sports specific, if you're going to do a hard day in the gym, I, I really would suggest you know not not spending more than 35 minutes in the entire workout. Uh, if you're going to be that specific, then there's only so many uh, sets or repetitions of a particular exercise you can do without again kind of getting into that overtrain phase. So 35 minutes would be plenty. In fact, I've I've spent time in the gym where if we're just doing squats and uh, single leg lunges for uh, max loads, for instance, it's you know, the workout's over in 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sounds like a great overview to kind of pull out of the chronic pattern and try some new stuff. And we'll get into maybe some more uh, responses to questions from Mark's Daily Apple and, and tackle some of these topics in more detail. But I appreciate that, that overview to set the tone. So Mark Sisson here, the Mark's Daily Apple podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening, and we hope you can join us at PrimalCon Tulum, March 1st through 6th, 2014, at the fabulous Dreams Tulum five-star resort on the Mexican Riviera. Please visit PrimalBlueprint.com, and you'll see complete details under the Events tab, and including description of each day on the vacation and all the various room options at the resort.